Hello and welcome to Slot Plus, the bonus segment of the Slate Culture Gab Fest. If you are listening, you are a Slate Plus member. Thank you so much for supporting Slate and the journalism that we do. Today, we are going to treat you to a slightly spoilerific, deeper discussion of Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Uh, anyway, the new Christopher Nolan movie about Dunkirk. Um, and get in a little bit further detail to some of the points we didn't want to address in our non-spoily proper segment. Uh, Steve, you said you had something to contribute. Why don't we start with you? Uh, sure. So the thing that I wouldn't have wanted to say in a non-spoiler context was that the um, ending really helped make the movie for me. Um, it Essentially, the survivors of the Dunkirk evacuation are on an English train going presumably from King's Cross out into the countryside or maybe from Dover towards London. I don't know. Anyway, they're in the on a train, fully safe, movie over. Uh, and what I thought he did beautifully in that moment is they believe they're abject failures, and they believe that the name Dunkirk, if anything, will live on in infamy uh, uh, and will connote defeat. And um, the way that Nolan ends the movie, I thought was was exquisite, where um, there a, a man kind of taps the train is still moving but going slowly, and a man at a station civilian just starts to tap the window and i think they almost think that they're about to be belittled or they have no sense of why this guy is doing this and then they realize that they're perceived as uh, having triumphed and the people on the platform begin to burst into applause and then i thought this ran right up to the line that made julia dislike the movie the treacly lifetime you know movie of the week line and i don't think it crossed it because it's this extraordinary moment where the famous Churchill speech, I think it's the We Stand Alone speech, but if it's not, it's an equivalent one, um, is in the newspaper, and it's occasioned by Dunkirk. So it's a famous historic Church- Churchillian speech, which we're all somewhat familiar with. I didn't know that it was on the occasion of the Dunkirk evacuation having nor, been a success. Nor did I know that he gave it three weeks into his prime ministership. Like yeah, that is an incredible thing about the war. Taken over That's right. He took over as the war was starting. When they're like about to be obliterated in Europe. I mean, I I I knew the words of that speech, but I had no idea at what point in the war it arrived. Sorry, I didn't but mean think, to interrupt. But think no no no, not at all. But think about the arc of the movie. The the movie begins with one person's point of view and with the most base animal desire to not be extinguished. And over the arc of the movie you get to the uh, Churchillian rhetoric, which he reads in the newspaper incredulously, and and the fact that you begin with that, you know that that keyhole of experience, that individual's keyhole of experience, and the basis desire, and it shows you then why that rhetoric, which we which has become sentimental and kind of platitudinous to our ears, um, after so much repetition and so, the, all the accretions of sentimentality, to have it live again in some sense because he's become conscious of of what he did, even though he feels like he did nothing, to me was kind of kind of extraordinary. I mean, I really thought there were there, there was there was real sort of cinematic genius on display, more there than in the um, competing timelines. If I could just embroider on that a bit, I just I think it was such a in particular 
great touch that it was the boy, the young boy, Fionn Whitehead is the actor's name who plays him, the, the very first kid that you see survive who reads the bit of the Dunkirk speech in this sort of tentative, disbelieving and, and frightened voice. I mean, it would have been so easy to take that famous audio clip of Churchill saying we will fight them on the beaches, right? And to have the crackly radio sound and to have them somehow hearing it come over a broadcast or something. But exactly to put right. it in the soldier's voice yep. gives the speech this whole different valence to go back to our opening word. Uh, of of <laughs> of uncertainty, right? I mean, we hear Churchill's speech now from the point of view of knowing that the war was won, but here's this boy reading it out loud who not only doesn't know what's, whether the war will be won or not, but knows that he's going to have to go back out and fight it. And uh, and I so at the in the end, it's it was the opposite to me of a treacly, uplifting ending. Yeah. It really was this sense of of uncertainty, impossible doom, which only we, with yes. all of our years of of distance, yes. are in the position of knowing will not be ultimately doom. No, it, it really. Um... I completely agree that to me, the ending really erased my uncertain questions about whether it was just a complicated puzzle game to hide the fact that it was like an inspirational treacle pile um, and and the complexity and sophistication of that moment, which is achieved without time sensitive cross cutting was really powerful. I will ask, though, now that we're in the spoiler session. Didn't you feel like the Zimmer score when all the boats show up through the mist uh, uh, alongside Brana's teary face was like a yes. little over the top? Like, yep. the, And Brana yeah. is amazing in that moment because you see Brana's face and you feel like he's seeing like a huge flotilla of German planes. Like at first it looks like he's horrified by what he's seeing. And then you realize that he's overwhelmed with uh, relief and gratitude and pride that all these boats have shown up. And Steve, actually, we should note some of them were captained by civilians. Many of them were requisitioned by the Navy who came over in boats that they were more willing to have destroyed than the actual naval fleet. Well, it also, I think, had to do with the depth of the harbor at Dunkirk. A big naval ship couldn't couldn't come up to that skinny little pier without right. getting beached. I think they say that uh, among the muffled dialogue and crashing yes. booms yes, at yes. one point. But it was not entirely uh, heroic, like Mark Rylance's in Cardigan's Saul. <laughs> oh, a whole ocean yeah. full of Mark Rylance's. Uh, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a nation of shopkeepers <laughs> jumping into their pleasure craft? Yes, although... <laughs> Anyway, there were many and they were heroic. And, and it's anyway, but that moment, that moment was the moment made me feel like, oh, are there like a lot of like waving veils here to hide the fact that this is a very straightforward, deeply moving and worthy and inspirational historic story that's never been told before. But like, maybe it should just own that a little bit more and tell the story. I see what straight. you're saying. Mm-hmm. I think to me, if there was if there was a, a, a clangy patriotism in that moment it resided not in the score i don't remember how it changed at that moment but in the the teary close-up of kenneth Branagh, who i mean is incredible in the part and of course you understand why his eyes would be teary but it's from the language of a different war movie to suddenly have a teary Mm close-up of a general while strings play yeah the whole thing i agree and i would add to that that the one moment that i didn't really like and did beam in from another movie was when he says home you know like you can almost see it what's her home or whatever i mean just struck me as 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 a kind of pomp you know a kind of retrospective pomp that these the bad versions of this movie always lapse into and this one by and large didn't but can i also just point out that we're not british i mean i'm not saying that being british completely justifies that moment but we we might have a different emotional reaction to it if this were a part of our history that's taught the way that Dunkirk is apparently taught to British school children, you know, to see this moment enacted that might be what for us would be. I don't know what the World War II moment that would would be that would be the equivalent. I mean, Pearl Harbor is the huge defeat that begat the, you know, after which we 
I mean, well, I guess it's really not. It's not. It's not analogous. And right, there was because, a movie of Pearl Harbor, and it was not nearly as good as Dunkirk. <laughs> so if that's the comparison point, Chris Nolan can do no wrong. <laughs> isn't isn't that a sad Ben Affleck joint? Yep. Affleck isn't it, and also yeah. that even more characterless dude. Can you remember his name at all? <laughs> I want they didn't, that on my they didn't just obliterate his mouth. They obliterated his whole face in person. <laughs> it was a guy they were trying to make happen, fetch style at the time, and he did not happen. Was it called 1941? What was it called? Or was it just no, called no, Pearl 1941 Harbor. was the John Belushi That's parody. Belushi oh. Spielberg movie. Josh Hartnett. Josh Hartnett. <laughs> Shooting more kittens in buckets. Sorry, Josh. Uh, <laughs> poor Joshy. Anyway, get in the bucket with the kitten. In the <laughs> um, right. Okay. So this that whole moment was a bit much. We can agree. The finale was great. Here's my quibble, which I'm borrowing from my very smart friend with whom I saw the film. Uh, the week, the time frame on the beach, he complained, did not feel like a week. The day feels like a day. The hour feels like an hour. But the time frame on the beach, it, it's it it's a little perplexing to keep track of what they're doing that whole time on the beach. And that comes to a head in the moment when they're in the beached fishing trawler waiting for the tide to come in so that they can take it out. Oh, and such a, but such an effective an claustrophobic in, scene. Incredible, effective, horrifying claustrophobic scene. Uh However, in it, at some point, the the boat has too much weight to get carried out to sea. And so they're arguing about who should get thrown overboard in their desperation to not get used further as target practice by uh, the nearby German army. And um, they realize that this one guy who's been like the partner in crime of uh, Tommy, the, the our, basically our protagonist, um, who's kind of wordlessly helped them escape various different things over time. Um, they think maybe he's a mole, maybe he's a German spy because he hasn't spoken yet. Which to them, they've only been with him for a day or two. But our buddy Tommy has been with him for like a week. So Tommy hasn't realized that he doesn't speak English for a week. Like in that scene, Tommy is surprised and is like, what? This guy, a mole? He's helped us this whole time. Um, and my friend pointed out that like, they ne- they he never would have noticed. They never would have been like, Let's go get some food. I wonder if we can get on that boat with this stretcher. Gosh, these planes sure do keep coming. What a dismal situation we're in. Like they just like mutely sat and shivered for a whole week before they were in that boat. Well, but you don't know how far into the week they are, right? I mean, are we no, clear because at that, point? At, at that week we know they're at the end because they get rescued from that boat by the Mark Rylances. Right. You're right. They have been together for so a it's week. It's definitely at that point. day seven. It's plausibly day six overnight as they wait in the boat or whatever but it's it's definitely at least day six seven so and they meet on day one so they've just like sat side by side shimmering not learning that one of them is actually french yeah that's that's stoic beyond greatest generation (laughs) requirements (laughs) i thought that was astute and pass it along (laughs) also how does he know that the guy didn't kill the other one for the boots right hasn't he been given an explanation by the guy he says, no, 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 he didn't kill him. But does isn't it because the other guy told him he didn't? Like, I mean, I, I, or am I missing something? I think 
they just exchanged a wordless moment of grim trust, like everybody does throughout <laughs> this whole movie. Um, and and whatever, that's more largely what the movie's about. You have to have faith in your fellow man to help you in a time of need. You know, it all it does not ruin the movie at all. It just was a smart observation. And and my friend's beef was basically like, really, it would have been better to say like three days on the mole, one day on the sea, one hour in the air. Right. But it ruined. The and then you have one, two, three. But I have a question. This is not quite a spoiler, but this is just something I meant to ask in our segment and I forgot to ask. Did it bother you guys or did you find it a feature or a bug that the young men were so hard to tell apart, that that whole crowd of, you know, 18 year old grime smeared guys in boats was very easy to confuse and kind of nameless? Kind of thought it was a feature. It it made Mm -hmm. you cognizant of the sort of disposability of the young man flesh of war. Um, And even the Killian Murphy scene like I hadn't completely cottoned on to the time frame thing yet at that moment. So when you, you've got Killian Murphy in Mark Rylance's boat and also you're like, wow, that grimy guy really looks like Killian Murphy, you know, fending off these people from his little rowboat. How could he be in both places at once? And then eventually you're like, oh, I gotcha, Chrissy. Right. right. Chrissy yeah. boy. But I but that disorientation, I guess I'm arguing against the thing I argued the whole segment. I found that disorientation to be um help heighten the sense of disorientation, your your sympathy with the sense of disorientation that these soldiers must have felt generally. Would you agree with that, Stephen? Or did you ever get annoyed that you just didn't know who was who? Mm, I thought it was, I would go with feature, not bug. Um, I, I found that I found the occasional cutesiness surrounding the, the timeline more potentially annoying and then eventually thought of it as a feature as well. But the other, I thought that was really part of it. I mean, the Tom Hardy story. You, know, the, you could pick out, essentially, that you could pick out any any one of these guys, right? Like, like he, he did not attempt to confer special status on this guy by making him blonde or more handsome or more this or a backstory or anything. It really is, we're just going to arbitrarily pick one guy and just follow him through, and he could have been any of these, seems to me pretty conscious. Yeah. The lack of a backstory, I think, was was a real strength, and I'm constantly criticizing movies for not offering backstories for characters. I just did that with Atomic Blonde, the new Charlize Theron action movie. But in this particular case, again, because of the particularity of the large ensemble cast and the attempt to show a whole effort, a whole humanitarian rescue mission, as opposed to you know one individual story, I think all of that lack of characterization was pretty much a feature. All right. I think I've come around to like this movie even more in the bonus segment than I did in the main segment. So Slate Plus members, extra recommendation. Go see Dunkirk. Thanks so much again for supporting Slate, for listening to this segment. We'll see you next week.